1: and so not acknowledging your feelings is not the absence of having a feeling it's just I think of feelings as, as energy and it's just shoving that would just be shoving energy in places where it doesn't really belong and when you shove energy into a place that doesn't belong then you're displacing what belongs there and it's going something's gonna come out sideways Hi guys, and welcome back to Uni Therapy. I'm your host, Kat, and I am very excited that you guys are listening to this episode right now. I think that this one is one of the most important episodes of them all. I go through all of the feelings with my friend and fellow therapist in Nashville, Megan. You probably are already used to Megan because she's been on the past two episodes if you've listened to those, and she's really wise, and I'm really grateful that she has been able to be on a good chunk of episodes with me. Um, So, again, today we go through all the feelings. Keep in mind, these are the feelings that we're using today. There's more. These are the ones that we kind of decided we're going to use and keep as stakeholders in our offices and the work that we do, but I don't want you to get too stuck on, like, these are the only ones ever that exist. What we do is we go through what happens when we're aware of our feelings and what happens when we're not aware of them, the gifts that they give us and what can happen um, and what they can take away from when we don't listen to them or notice them. So, um, I hope you enjoy listening to it. You can follow me at, at, Cat DeFada, you can follow the podcast at Unit Therapy Podcast. And also, if you guys are not part of the Self Love Club, that is the newsletter that I send out every Monday when a new episode drops. You can sign up for that yourself and subscribe to it at Unit Therapy Podcast.com. There's a pop up that comes up, and you can scroll to the bottom and sign up that way as well. Make sure to check out our merch store. We have a couple things on there that are really cute and fun while you're there, and I hope you enjoy this episode. All right, welcome back. I'm so glad to be here. This is so fun. <laughs> um, welcome back, guys. It is... Who knows? We lost count of the episodes because we just have been doing this for so long by now.
2: <laughs> I think this would be episode four of us together. Is it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Happy
1: 4th anniversary.
2: I don't know if we're going to count the ones before we joined up, but
1: here yes, we are. Yes, those count. <laughs> this a lot of hard work. Exactly. Of cat um, solo adventuring. Yeah, so. me not knowing what the hell I was doing. Um, okay, well, welcome, guys. Thank you so much for uh, tuning in. Today we have a really exciting episode that I think is going to be crucial in... The development of every human being. We're talking about feelings. So many feels. All of the feelings. Um, so there's a lot of misconception with feelings. And um, so we're going to talk about those. Before we really get in all of that, what I want to start with is I know like when I just said that, I got this like eh, uh, feeling in my body. And I think that's because a lot of times people will have an idea that feelings are bad or scary or wrong, painful and all that. And and maybe some of that might be true, Um, but feelings aren't good or bad. Um, They just are things. And I like to think of them, and I know, Megan, you agree with me. Hopefully, <laughs> Which um, part of my am I agreeing? <laughs> you're gonna agree with me, you're after? gonna agree with whatever I say. You just have to. Yes, I'm so um, agreeable. Yes, yes. Um, so the feelings aren't good or bad; they just are, and they're what I like to think of them as are tools, essentially, or guides. So they're things that can lead us to what we need. if we can look at them that way, then to me, it's a little less terrifying. Yeah,
2: I mean, I think since you love to talk about food and body and all that stuff, it's sort of what's going on in diet culture and food culture of labeling these foods as good or bad. Mm -hmm. And there are definitely foods that are more helpful to eat than other foods at certain times. Um, And feelings are sort of similar. The feelings themselves are not good or bad. It's really the labels that we're attaching to them or the judgments that we're attaching to them that make them have so much charge around them.
1: Yeah. Yes, that's good little What is that an analogy or a metaphor i never know (laughs) i'm trying to think because no an analogy is when you say like a metaphor is when you say it is i don't really know it
2: hey siri what's the difference (laughs) between a metaphor and And an an analogy
1: um (laughs) here's what i found
2: okay i was right though i think i'm right oh gosh now they're adding simile in here is that what it's called
1: I to, don't know what a simile is.
2: I really need to know this because I feel like people tell me a lot that I'm good at, at painting like pictures, and I'm always that's a annoying. metaphor.
1: Am I- An analogy is when no, this is tr- Analogy is when you say, "Analogy is when you had those colons when you did it in school, and it was like this <laughs> is like this." <laughs> oh, what are we talking about?
2: <laughs> I think we're just getting a real-life picture into our life. Kind of like earlier. I mean, we'll get into this later when we're, like, arguing about what the primary colors are. And I'm like, let's just ask Siri. (laughs) Okay, so a metaphor is a noun. It's a figure of speech in which a word or phrase is applied to an object or action to which it's not literally applicable. Her poetry depends on suggestion and metaphor. A thing regarded as representative or symbolic of something else, especially something abstract. The amounts of money being lost by the company were enough to make it a metaphor for an industry that was teetering.
1: Wait, to be honest, I didn't hear anything you just said. This this is making life complicated.
2: Way more. Listen,
1: Megan, a, a metaphor is when you describe something in another way. So when I say, when I give a metaphor, metaphor would be like when I say, well, you're about to give a metaphor. Yeah. Should we just jump into that? Oh, my God. Okay. I hope that you guys are still listening, but Megan's about to hit you with a metaphor with feelings. Hit it.
2: Yeah. Girl. I I clearly like metaphors, which we're still a little confused about.
1: God. If any of our
2: listeners are English people out there, just let us know if we're talking (laughs) about metaphors or analogies. But anyway, um, a story I really like to tell around feelings has to do with Me living in Africa, which I think you know I live there. Yeah, because we've talked about that. Um, When I was living overseas in Uganda, there was... I would get in the car with different people. I would like to say it was like Uber, but it wasn't. It was really like I'd be taking a taxi somewhere. And a lot of times I'd get in the car and they would have this like black electrical tape all over the dashboard. And so you could kind of see the speedometer, but like then everywhere else was just like taped. And one time I asked the driver, I was like, Hey, you know, this is after a long time of living there, I'm just like, Oh, the people put tape over this, I wonder why that is and people there really were really resourceful and that kind of thing. But one time I asked, I was like, What's all that tape for? And he was like, Oh, it's so I don't have to see all the lights on the dashboard that are on and he pulled the tape off and there was just like this whole dashboard of, and then what did you of lights on. <laughs> what did I do I, did literally, really? I literally thought to myself that is genius like I'm gonna do that I'm just gonna put tape on my dashboard so I don't have to pay attention to any of these lights and it wasn't until I really did think it was genius and I've yeah like thought maybe you know that would be a good strategy to implement for myself and really like if we look at that that's what a lot of us are doing with feelings like when a light comes on on my dashboard that says like Hey, your gas light is on. If I listen to that and it's in, like, its helpful place, I'm like, cool, let's go get some gas. If I'm like, oh, I'm just going to ignore that, which I may or may not do a lot, um, you can ignore your gas light for a little bit. Most people's comes on around 50 miles till empty and oh a lot God. of cars.
1: Can I tell you what? Go for it. Well, I'm, so I ignore my. That's not a surprising. <laughs> <laughs> because I've been taught that, like, when your gaslight comes on, you have a while. Yeah, you do. Well, I was leaving, um, it was in the morning. I was, like, leaving to go to work, and I was, like, it, I was actually early, and I was, like, loving it, and that was killing it. I turn on to a very busy street, and my car just stops literally, just stops and I had to stop it in the middle of the road and everyone is like honking up whatever. And so I'm freaking out. I'm like, I blew up my engine. Oh my God. And I like called my boyfriend that I was dating and he was like, what do you want me to do? And I was like, fine, I'll just call my dad. You're useless. And that was a whole thing. But then um, my my family was like, there's no way it was your, and it's probably an electrical thing, blah, blah, blah. It's, there's no way it was your, um, like you needed to get your oil change or whatever. And so I had to get towed. Whatever. Oh my gosh. I went to the car place to pick up, and he was like, yeah, there's no way that this was because you needed your oil change. And then he called me, and it was like $600, and he was like, by the way, you needed oil in your car. This is the most expensive oil change you'll ever have in your life. Did you have an oil light on or anything? Yeah, I had that, well, that's that light that was on, the check engine light was on. But I didn't Uh, check it, because I thought you had like 50, I thought you had a while. So... So anyway, really
2: amazing example of, of what
1: happens when you ignore it,
2: when we ignore our feelings. Like this light comes on. Had you been like, cool, I'm going to go check my engine. No,
1: I was like, this is this. Nah. Yeah.
2: And it's like, no, I'll ignore it. I'll ignore it. I'll ignore it. I'll ignore it. And car your stopped. car could blows died. up. I could have died. Sort of in the People middle of the road. Then you have to go and pay all this money to fix it. And all because you didn't like listen to the light when it came on.
1: And the light was trying to help me. Yeah. There's a guy telling me what I needed.
2: Yeah, Oil. exactly. I laugh because when I was um, in sober living, after I got out of treatment, I went to sober living in um, Los Angeles, and the number of times... I didn't have a car out there, but some people did if they had been there longer, if they lived out there, whatever. The number of times I was with people who ran out of gas, I think in three months, it was like six times... One of my friends was like, actually, AAA has a limit on how many times you can get them to bring you gas. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, like that's how yeah. disconnected we all were from. You want to pay attention like, to anything. Yeah, from our feelings, from gaslights, from life. anything. Like, we just kept driving and running out of gas yeah
1: oh my god
2: and so i like the car example i'm that's awesome that you jumped in and had a real life practical example but it's like sometimes lights in my car come on and i'm like no or like this is good this is bad there's so much judgment but when i I I can't leave my engine lights on yeah when we really step back and it's like okay like what is this alerting me that i need to do and what do i want to do about now or do i want to ignore it it's like
1: thank god that I have the ability to have a light turn on. Right. Even though I don't want to go pay the $70 it's going to cost. Thank God else I would just stop in the middle of the road all the time.
2: Right. If you had no lights coming
1: on. Such a, I'm not sure if that's a metaphor or an analogy, but like here or a simile, but here we are. <laughs> <laughs> Either way, whatever the
2: English it's something. proper term it is. I hope that as people are listening to this, driving around or going about your life, that really like we can take a new approach yeah. on looking at feelings, even if that is a picture that you hold, like covering them up with some tape might yeah. sound like a genius idea, but all of those lights are eventually going to catch up to yeah. you. And when we're not judging them and letting them like be teachers to actually keep us safe, it's really a lot us. more helpful than what we do a lot of the times. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, so what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about why we should lean into our feelings instead of suppress them. Um, and we're going to go through each feeling, which we have picked a couple, but we're going to go into... We
2: literally fought over who was going to do which each one? feeling. So... <laughs> we didn't fight. <laughs> we didn't fight, but we... We had a we, discussion. We drafted them. Yeah. We drafted the feelings.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so... What's your first... You did say, like, what's your first pick? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think about that. Actually, now I feel bad for the ones that got picked last. What
2: was your first pick? Uh, Was it fear? Oh, yeah. You did pick fear first.
1: You know. I think. Um, Okay. So, with that being said, we're going to go into all that. We're going to go into each one. And we're going to talk about the helpful... The ways that they can be helpful if you're aware of them. And the ways that they can be unhelpful if you stay unaware to your feelings. As in, if you take the tape off the dashboard or you put it on. And so anything else you want to say on that? Yeah. I mean, I think some
2: of what you're talking about too, you were saying so many helpful things um, when we were even preparing for the episode, just about like, we were going back and forth talking about the number one symptom of a dysfunctional family or that you grew up in a dysfunctional family is the ability is not having the ability to name or express feelings. Mm -hmm. And just so everybody knows, if you have a family, it's probably at some level dysfunctional. (laughs) We're all in this
1: together.
2: (laughs) Yeah. So that's really not intended to, maybe it is intended to create feelings that I just said that. But yeah, yeah, going back to that really is a symptom of a lot of other stuff that's that's underneath.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And also before we get started, let's talk about for a second how all of these symptoms that we might have um, as in things that we don't want to be doing or living in or leaning into like being passive aggressive, uh, self-loathing, being codependent, um, not having the ability to say no, um, drug abuse, any eating disorder behaviors, isolating. All of those behaviors that we use that end up being maladaptive are symptoms of a feelings disease. And that feelings disease would be not being able to feel your feelings. So those are ways to suppress our feelings.
2: suppress, deny, avoid. Yeah. I know I just have more, you know, like even if you break down the word disease, it's dis-ease. Catherine <laughs> I'm like,
1: like, let's make it count every time you have like a, what is that called? That's not a metaphor or a simile, but what is that kind of thing called? Uh, Some word thing. You have a word thing for every word. I know. Like, and I
2: don't know if that's who I am or if that's like because I've done so much
1: treatment. Do you make them up yourself?
2: Um, Have you ever oh, yeah, made one the, of yourself? The stories, I definitely... I think I just see things in pictures. Now, that the <laughs> dis-ease thing, yeah. I'm sure I've heard that somewhere. Uh, I can't There There's a guy uh, that I
1: used to work with and when I was an adventure therapist. He always talked about that. The dis-ease? Yes. It's dis-ease. You yeah. can always exaggerate it.
2: But I think really looking at it, it is important to know, aside from all my... I don't know if they're corny, but my... They're helpful. Helpful. My helpful catchphrases. I just always feel like I'm like a woman on um working in like a treatment facility like the movie 28 days have you seen that with Sandra Bullock <laughs> yes. I'm like I am that lady um but I think it really is important to know because we we get so judgmental of like all of the these symptoms mm-hmm. and it's I'm going to do it again it's like being sick like if you have a runny nose and a fever and a cough and all this stuff like those are all symptoms, symptoms. of a virus or yeah. a bacterial infection or whatever And so we walk around like with all sorts of symptoms, like you've already named judging them when really uh, most of them come from avoiding our feelings Mm -hmm. and also like avoiding our feelings helped us survive in our families or in places Mm -hmm. that it wasn't safe to feel feelings.
1: Yeah, totally.
2: So Kat, will you tell us since we've already determined what kind of core feelings we're going to use, will you give us a rundown of the ones we're going to use and why we chose those.
1: Yes, I would love to. Okay, so here's the deal about the feelings we're going to go through. If I said, actually my friends love making fun of me for this. Perfect. Because uh, <laughs> I'll ask people like what they're feeling and they'll say a random word and I'll be like, that's not a feeling. Um, but there's a lot of words you can describe, used to describe essentially how you are feeling. There are certain words that are feelings. Now, in that, there are um, a ton ton of actual feelings a billion we narrowed this down to eight we're going to talk about today do you want to talk about the colors
2: you're smiling at me I'm smiling because Kat said a billion and I was thinking of like um Austin Powers like one billion dollars I've never
1: seen Austin Powers
2: uh, um anyway <laughs> do you want to talk about the I will give the example of the the yeah. primary colors because sometimes when people in my office are when i'm saying like what do you feel and i have a list of eight feelings and i'm yeah. like how about looking at that it's like they're like why do i have to use this eight you know why are there seven good one or bad ones and one good one but i'm like there is nothing special about this list of eight feelings like these are kind of umbrella feelings with lots of other feelings underneath them so if somebody says they feel frustrated i'm just like okay that goes under kind of like an anger umbrella mm-hmm. and which is kind of like the primary colors which we actually did <laughs> establish are red blue and yellow so those are the primary colors and then there's like
1: there's a million, a million colors. billion colors billion
2: underneath there like magenta is I think and probably in the red family yeah. or whatever and so even when we're talking we're going to use eight feelings that are just sort of core feelings that people use like primary colors mm-hmm. and most treatment centers use them a lot of therapists use a core feelings list they're not exactly this eight they're interchangeable but these are not the like holy grail of yeah. feelings these are just the eight that kat and i decided to use Decided to use and use in our
1: office yeah so Disclaimer. here's the, here's the actual feelings if you don't if you've never been in our <laughs> office you've never seen the laminated piece of paper on the floor we have lonely hurt fear Glad, sad, anger, shame, and guilt. Did I get all those? Boom. All right. So here is the deal with all that. Um, we're going to go through all of them and we're going to talk about the gifts of being aware and unaware of all of that. We're going to do that. But before we get into that, I will say that everybody has all of them. You have all Definitely. of them. I have all of them. Everybody has all of them. And so not acknowledging your feelings is not the absence of having a feeling. It's just, I think of feelings as, as energy and it's just shoving, that would just be shoving energy in places where it doesn't really belong. And when you shove energy into a place that doesn't belong, then you're displacing what belongs there and it's going something's going to come out sideways. So let's all just really be honest with ourselves. We all have these things. If Nobody you are alive, immune. you have lots of feelings. Yeah, and so nobody's immune from being, feeling scared. Or nobody's immune from feeling anger. We all have it. Um, and then the other part is everybody has, well, most everybody has, I would say a start gate feeling. So we all essentially are really comfortable with one or two feelings, and we'll, when we have a, a burst of energy or emotion, we go straight there. And we might go there because it feels more comfortable. And then I would call that your primary feeling. And then there's something underneath that. Can you
2: talk about what your start gate feeling is?
1: You don't have to. I don't know why I responded that way. I don't care. (laughs) So I. Pathways being a real life client. (laughs) (laughs) My start gate feelings um, would be fear. So I think this is different than what I said earlier. So. (laughs) Loneliness isn't my start gate feeling. I just feel it a lot. Mm. My start gate feeling is fear. I'm, I wake up every single day with fear. I, it's always there. Mm-hmm. Um, now, underneath my fear, there might be like sadness around something or loneliness in something or hurt. But I always go to fear first. I think the most common that I see start gate feeling is anger in mm-hmm. other people. And I think that's because um, anger is something that can be really socially accepted when it's compared to sad. So it's easier at work, if you think in the office, if you see somebody huffing and puffing and going around and somebody angry, that's more socially accepted than somebody at their cubicle crying. Mm-hmm. You know?
2: Yeah. And even if we go, I'm sure we'll do an episode eventually on Enneagram, but you can break each of the three numbers down into different triads. Mm-hmm. So really like sevens for example us are in the fear triad Mm -hmm. and then you've got people eight nine and one are in the anger triad two three and four are in the shame triad and then five six and seven in fear and so really those three tend to be the the most primary Mm -hmm. start gate emotions Mm -hmm. but I really like that you are naming that and then talking like we all have stuff underneath Mm -hmm. that
1: Yours is fear too,
2: right? Yeah, yeah mine's fear too. It's mm-hmm. I tell people all the time, it's like the wires get crossed in our head sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'll immediately, if I have a feeling, any feeling, mm-hmm. I immediately feel anxious. Mm-hmm. And part of my own work has been like slowing down enough to be like, okay, I feel so anxious. I'm feeling so much fear. Mm-hmm. And then now I've learned to almost, I just laugh at myself because I'm like, I actually feel sad, but my body is translating that mm-hmm. as fear, mm-hmm. um, or I'm actually feeling happy mm-hmm. and I feel fear in my body. And so I've really had to learn how to make peace with that yeah. and let it be what it is. But then also being curious about what else is there.
1: Yeah. You know, what's coming up for me is, yeah, a lot of people are asleep to their feelings and how would you tell, how do you tell your clients how to wake up to that? Cause I do have a lot of people that are like, I don't know how to feel this, And how do you walk somebody through? Because we're going to walk them through the feelings, but how do you walk them through becoming aware of them? Yeah, that's a
2: great question. I think the first thing, I mean, you know this, I do a lot of somatic work. So noticing what's happening in your body, but really the first thing that happens is being curious about what's going on. So the next time that somebody, like even for Mm -hmm. listeners to think about, or even when I'm working with a client, I'm doing a lot of like, what do you feel right now? And say I'm working with somebody who it goes immediately to anger.
1: Mm
2: -hmm. I'm like, okay, I know you feel anger. Let's pause. Like, what else might you feel? Um, And so really starting with this place of acknowledging the big feeling. Like, yes, we know, like I know with myself, I'm always going to fear. My Mm -hmm. body, like those, that neuropathway is ingrained. Mm -hmm. And then really being curious about like, what else might I feel? other than fear is a really helpful place to start
1: yeah and then you know
2: like therapy group therapy
1: (laughs) well i would (laughs) add to that is like if you're if you guys are out there thinking of like okay i want to be able to i want to learn about the feelings and i want to learn how to be attuned to them my suggestion to you would be to find when you feel a lot of energy in your body when your Mm -hmm. body feels really energized to me i take that as anxiety when i have energy but it could be anything um when you feel in, energy in your body, allow yourself to slow down and check in. Mm-hmm. So it's really just slowing down. A lot of times we're go, 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 and we don't want to feel the feelings, so we, we run, 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 and we use that energy to run rather than to slow down and figure out what's happening. But So I would say slow down. like yeah. Just slow down and talk to yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part is you have to come into a willingness to be super uncomfortable because, yeah, these feelings are helpful feelings are very helpful that doesn't mean they're very comfortable yeah and so having that allow yourself to slow down which also can be uncomfortable for me <laughs> allow yourself to slow down and then allow yourself to spit the space to be uncomfortable even if it's for five seconds
2: i have a, um this funny story with my life and feelings but um i don't know where eric and i were at this thing and i was like man i was having so many feelings and had been for a few days and really couldn't like sort them out and all this stuff. And we were at this like public place. And I like to, I have, I'm a therapist, but still like, I have a lot of feelings about my feelings. And so I was like, Hey, can you like come outside with me? And he came outside and I was like crying. And I was like, I don't know what's happening. Like, I can't make sense of any of this stuff. Basically as I was like having so many feelings, but I couldn't, slow down enough to do that and so he kind of he was just with me and he was like you're okay, you're safe, like just breathe. And then like after a little bit, um he just started laughing. Like I was laughing too and he was laughing and I was like what are you laughing about? Like, you know, I'm in crisis here and he was like all I can think about is that scene from The Grinch and I was like where is he going with this? And The Grinch goes I'm having feelings (laughs) (laughs) And he's like, You're having feelings and it's okay. It's okay. Uh, So sometimes that's like really like when we start to thaw out and we start to recognize that we're actually having feelings, it we can be all over the place. Where does that
1: judgment come from? Like where does the judgment come from? I know for me it was it was hard for me to acknowledge and be okay with the fact that I am scared all the time and mm-hmm. that doesn't make me weak and I'm lonely a lot where does the ju- we have to ask ourselves where's the judgment that these feelings are bad come from who's telling us that yeah and, and what there probably messages? is somebody so let's go find like allow yourself the space to go ask those questions who's who told me or what experience told me that this is wrong or bad I got to go see if that was inaccurate
2: yeah that's a great thing to- great question yeah Or And even recognizing what messages you received around feelings in your families. Yeah. Because a lot of times like cultural things Mm -hmm. of like, you know, parents saying like, just stop crying Mm -hmm. or put on a happy face or, you know, get over it. That parents probably like were doing the best they can with what they had. But really this teaching of like when a parent isn't okay with their their own feelings, they're definitely not okay with their kids' feelings. Yeah. And so
1: everybody will do whatever they
2: can to get rid of them.
1: Right. Well, if my kid is having a feeling... Is that saying thing about me? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And my parenting style and whatever. So, all not to say. Um, let's jump in. Yeah, let's do it. So, again, we're going to go through all of these eight that we created. And it looks like we are going to start with loneliness. Perfect. Such a good feeling. Uh, so, when I say lonely, is it, does anything, like, come to mind to you? Like, any thought, any, whether it's like a, I don't want that, or, like, What do you think when you think about the feeling of loneliness?
2: I have really more of a feeling in my body of like a deep pit. I'm like, ooh, I don't know that I
1: want to talk about loneliness. Yeah, which is crazy because I think we've said this before. I think we said this the first time you were on here, but somebody one time sat me down and we were talking about, well, what's your specialty and what do you work with? And I was like, you know what? I think that I specialize in loneliness. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't know that. No, not because I, not because I am myself always feeling it, and I'm like really like in tune with it in that way, but because when it comes down to it, every single person that comes in this room,
0: mm. they
1: think that they're coming here for this or they're coming here for that or whatever. When we narrow it down, I'm like, oh, you're lonely. Like you're feeling lonely. You just are not aware. And so we're gonna go through the. The, um, what happens when you're aware of your feelings and what happens when you're unaware of your of each of these feelings. And for loneliness, what happens when you're unaware is you create apathy and distance. And that can be in relationships with yourself. It can be relationships with God. It can be in relationships with others. Uh, and Megan made a really good point when we were talking about this earlier of... It's kind of like that whole idea of... I don't know if you want to talk about this, that love versus hate. So people think those are the opposite. But what were you saying earlier?
2: Yeah, sometimes people I'll hear even in my office, like, oh no, I don't hate that person. And I'm like, oh, hate really isn't that bad. Mm -hmm. You know, hate, like when you hate somebody, you're still having energy toward them. So love and hate really are kind of very close to each other Mm -hmm. versus the idea of apathy is like, I just don't even care.
1: It takes energy out. Yeah. So if you think of like being unaware to your loneliness, okay, if we're actually feeling lonely, what we're needing probably is connection, right? Mm-hmm. But if we shove that away and we put it in a pocket where it doesn't belong, what that does is it tells us that we don't care, so we don't seek out relationships with anybody. Mm-hmm. So one thing that it can cause, it can cause you to be unknown, like completely unknown. From yourself, you won't know yourself, people won't know you, and I mean, it's, you're digging a deeper hole, right? Now, if you're aware of loneliness, this is a thing. Like, yeah, it is not... a exciting thing to wake up and be like, I'm lonely right now. But if you're aware to it, and if you can walk into it, um, what you will end up getting in the long run is connection, or a fancier word for that, intimacy and relationships. Mm-hmm. When you're aware that you're lonely, you can go and seek out the need of filling that.
2: So when yeah. your lonely light comes on, yeah, you it actually moves you to going and being less lonely. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious, like, even Cat, because you talk you've mentioned so many times about feeling lonely a lot. How do you know when you're lonely and what do you do with it?
1: God. Well, I think it's just, you know, I just know that it's always there now, but I think, I think realizing for me, and it is a deep pit. It's like, it's, I don't know how to describe it because it's a, for me, loneliness is so bodily, like visceral feeling. It's almost like I get like a shock, I don't know. I don't, I'm probably not describing this well, but like I get this, like when I come awake to my loneliness, I get this shock of like, I'm missing something because I would say one of the things that I value most in life are my relationships. We know that. Yeah. So, um, it feels like an illness. And what's really interesting is the emotional pain that we feel from loneliness hits in the exact same neuropathways in the brain as physical pain. Wow. Like the exact same. That's like when, why when you're like feeling really lonely, like you actually can feel like you're ill, you know? So you don't, it, 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 causes like an intense feeling of discomfort. So like that shock that I'm talking about, I'm not making that up in my head. That really is happening. And so humans generally don't like feeling physical discomfort. And so that's why we'll numb out the loneliness and we can do that a million ways. And I don't know that we're going to probably get into that of numbing emotions, but I don't know if I answered your question. How do yeah, I know?
2: I think so. And even yeah. as you were talking, I was thinking like, even for me doing this podcast for with you came out of loneliness. Yeah. When I'm not aware of my loneliness, it looks like boredom. Yeah. So I get really bored. I feel really like apathetic of like, what even is the point of life? Mm-hmm. Why am I doing this? Like, I'm bored. And when I'm not listening to that, it can send me into this existential crisis place of like all the things that it's mentioned. However, when I am listening to it, so eventually I came out of this place and I was like, oh, I am lonely like for something new and to create something new with someone. And it led me to doing like this and this and this and this and and then eventually linking up with you to do this, yeah, which is a really cool example.
1: Yeah. And I will... I want to say this too because loneliness isn't that to fulfill that need of connection sometimes can be really hard and I think that I bypass that a lot that's probably one of my blind spots because I have a community I have a really big community here but for people maybe who have like moved or are in new places or are end have ended relationships or whatever it can be really uh tough to listen to your loneliness because that means you have to do really For me, it's not that hard. I feel lonely. I'm going to call a friend Mm -hmm. or I'm going to do something like that. But for people in that way, it's like, it is really actually very uncomfortable to get out of your loneliness and that, to listen to it, because that means you're going to have to go in places where you don't know anybody. You're going to have to meet new people. You're going to have to be really vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's probably why a lot of people don't want to actually listen to it because they know that it's going to force them to either just feel the physical pain or do something that terrifies them.
2: Right. Like all of our feelings, just like the lights on the dashboard, they're actually going on. when you're listening yeah. to them, they actually move you to do something. Mm-hmm. And one of the things like, even when, when you're talking about, yeah, you have a lot of friends and you really value relationship. Mm-hmm. And so even in that case, it can be very possible that you're not lonely for a relational connection in the friendship sense but you can be lonely for time with yourself or you can be lonely for more creativeness Mm -hmm. at work or you can be lonely for your higher power Mm -hmm. like we can be lonely in some areas of our lives and not lonely in all areas and then there's a quote i love about loneliness that says like loneliness isn't the necessarily the absence of another's physical presence but it's the absence of sharing anything meaningful about yourself
1: where did you get that from a book you didn't read
2: um, yeah, it is from a book. It is from um, I'm doing that somatic group therapy yeah. where I'm a participant, and it was on written on the whiteboard actually, and I was like, "Hell yeah, I relate to that." Amazing. A lot All of right. us can do a lot of talking yeah. and say nothing and share nothing yeah. about ourselves.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that wraps up loneliness.
2: I know it's going to be so hard to talk to, like, about feelings because I we could feel just like
1: do this forever.
2: We could just. Do yeah. an yeah, episode on each feeling.
1: So let's go to the next one, Megan. You want to take this away?
2: Yes. Somehow from the draft, I drafted hurt, which we were laughing because <laughs> when <laughs> early on when I used to talk about feelings, I would always forget one feeling, and I'd be like, "What the hell is the feeling I'm forgetting? Why do I always forget one of the feelings?" And I always forgot hurt. Um, and why? I, I think because it's the one I, I most avoid within oh. myself. Oh
1: wow. Um, Duh. Yeah. So I'm that just like, sense.
2: can't remember it because I'm so, I use avoid it. So avoidant of it.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, and then I laugh too, cause sometimes I'll just write hurt on a piece of paper. Like when I'm in my office with somebody and I'll just keep holding it up as they're talking. Um, they're like talking and I'm like, you're hurt. They're talking more. I'm like, you're hurt. Like oh, wait, you're that's hurt. Actually funny. Um, because, and we'll laugh, but it's, It's, you know, I'm sure you've worked with people and I do this myself. It's a lot of like, it's fine. I don't care. It's fine. I don't care. And I'm like, if you're saying you don't care, then clearly you care. And if you're saying it's fine, clearly it's It's not not fine. fine. So I'm just like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. (laughs) I'm like, I want you to imagine this flashing light. that's just like hurt, hurt, hurt. hurt." Um, So I say that because even to this day, hurt is the feeling I probably work the hardest to avoid. Mm -hmm. And when we're unaware of our hurt, it causes like just pain upon pain like even if you think about physical injuries and if you don't listen to your body's hurt Mm -hmm. you will just keep going and going and going until you get to a place where you've got like a way bigger problem Mm -hmm. than you had in the beginning if you would have stopped and been attuned to that hurt and just like a physical injury if you are if you hurt yourself You go to the doctor, you go to the training room, like you go somewhere and you get healing for your injury.
1: Right. And that's making me think of the whole idea of thank God we can feel physical pain because if we can't, then I'm going to keep my hand on the hot stove for 20 minutes. Yeah. Right. Thank God I can. But if I, if I don't allow myself to feel it, I'm going to fry my hand off.
2: Exactly. Which is the other like thing that happens when we're unaware of our hurt or when Mm -hmm. we shove it down or shove it away. We get this lovely thing called resentment, uh, which in the (laughs) the, the 12-step rooms, a lot of people describe resentment as drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Um, So you're just like constantly inside spewing
1: and just passive aggressive. That is such a good, I'm sure I've heard that before, but that is such a good visual. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're just holding all this stuff inside and it's coming out as passive aggressiveness and like, you know, snide comments toward this person maybe who hurt you. And all the while they could actually have no idea that they actually hurt you, which leads into another topic for another day of like kind of this belief I think really in the world that we sh- we don't have to tell or we shouldn't have to tell people what we need or what we feel they should just know mm-hmm. and hurts probably the one the biggest one that comes mm-hmm. up with because it's really vulnerable to go to somebody mm-hmm. and say like hey this happened and like I'm really hurt mm-hmm. and then try to repair that mm-hmm. and so when when we're not aware of our hurt like we are in resentment city mm-hmm. like you can feel it like I'm thinking about resentment mm-hmm. and like when I'm having that, it's like you can feel it all in your body. It's like mm-hmm. a fire burning. Yeah, You know? Yeah. You literally just continued to drink the poison and, like, the other person's just going about their mm-hmm. life. Um,
1: Having no idea that anything's wrong.
2: No idea. One of the, like, my favorite things, actually, is when a client comes back and like, the next week or whatever, whenever something happens and is able to tell me, about something I did that hurt them, whether it's like, Hey, you didn't respond to my email fast enough. And that really hurt me. Or, Hey, you said this last week and that really hurt me. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, like sometimes I'm like, yeah, I like there is sometimes I say things that might be hurtful to people and that's just the nature of it. And other times, especially given from, like, just the environment I grew up in, I can say things that are really hurtful in, like, a funny way mm-hmm. in my humanity, yeah. and I'm, like, I'm so glad when people tell yeah. me so I can actually make it right, right and make amends.
1: And you know what? This is making me come back to this whole, this will help give a visual to this primary versus secondary feelings and, like, mm-hmm. your start gate, because what I'm thinking is when somebody hurts me, I probably go to anger. Yeah. I go straight to anger and that's where the resentment comes in. And I'm like, screw you. You suck. You're horrible. And then I try to hurt them, but really I'm just acting outside of myself and then I feel bad and it's a whole thing. But if I can say, okay, I feel a lot of energy right now. I, it maybe might be anger, but is there anything else there and slow down? I can realize, Oh, I'm angry at her cause she hurt my feelings mm-hmm. and I care about myself. So I don't like that. She hurt my feelings, but me just being resentful is not going to do anything. If I come to you and say, Hey, when you said this, that really, uh, didn't sit well with me. And this is a story I made up about it, about you and me. Can we talk about that? You could probably have a good conversation and resolve some of that and find healing and even a deeper relationship with that person.
2: Yes. Like when hurt is in its rightful yeah. place when we're listening to it, we what happens is we seek healing, whether that's physical healing mm-hmm. for our injuries or emotional healing for like our emotional injuries, and you're exactly right. When we are willing to go get healing for the hurt, oftentimes what happens is it creates an even deeper relationship. Yeah. And with that, I have to do a huge, huge asterisk disclaimer here. Like part of maybe what is a belief that a lot of people carry is that we have to go to the person who hurt us to receive healing. Mm -hmm. Sometimes if that person who hurt you is like a remotely, somewhat remotely healthy person, Mm -hmm. absolutely do that. Mm -hmm. Like absolutely go to that person. Like if I hurt you, Catherine, I would absolutely want you to come and tell me so we could get healing. But sometimes we're in relationship with people who are so unhealthy or we have family members or whatever or that looks like that cause. are so unhealthy that if they hurt you and you go to them and say, this is what hurt, you're just going to get more hurt.
1: Like if they're unwilling to sit into their feelings, then it's probably not a good idea. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
2: If you're with someone who, if you're trying to go get your hurt, hurtness, I don't know if hurtness is a word, and you're trying to go get healing from somebody else who cannot acknowledge their own hurt or their own feelings all you're going to get is further harm and further Mm -hmm. hurt and so sometimes we have to have people who can help us sift through like okay can I go to this person to get healing or really do I need to go to somebody else like to talk about Mm -hmm. this whether it's my therapist or whether it's like a healthy friend or somebody else who can really help get you healing versus Mm -hmm. going back to a source where you will never get healing because that person's just not I mean, able that to give just up.
1: Put you into kind of like a relationship triangle of mm-hmm. the drama triangle. Do you know what that is?
2: Cartman triangle. Yeah, we'll yeah. get into
1: that one day. Um, um, uh, question for you: What yes. would you say um, to those people who? It's like, well, what's the point of um, acknowledging my hurt if I can't go talk to that person? How do I make it? How do I find healing then? Do you have an? Do you have an idea?
2: Yeah. A lot of times we can find healing. There's a difference between getting healing for yourself and getting relational repair. Um, and so we can only get relational repair with people who are able to do that and Mm -hmm. like be healthy. Um, and that's what I'm talking about when you're going to a person who hurt you and they're able to admit their humanity and fix things. Mm -hmm. If the person isn't like that, we can get healing, but we might have healing without relational repair. And what that looks like is going to somebody who can actually provide care and who can listen to your hurt and tend to it, just like somebody would tend to a physical injury. Like, they can listen to how you're hurt. They can empathize. They can have compassion, care, ask you questions about it, give you a hug if that's what you want, and, like, be with you in that, in the hardness of that.
1: Yeah, like if you are in a boxing match and somebody breaks your nose – You're not going to go to the person that breaks your nose to fix it. You're going to. Exactly. They're not going to know how. You're going to go to a doctor. And you can still find healing, but you're not going to have a good relationship with the guy that broke your nose.
2: Yeah, like you may not ever want to. I mean if you're if you're boxing as sport, then that's one thing. But yeah. if somebody is just, just knocks you out <laughs> knocks you out in the middle of the street, probably what you're gonna do is avoid that person right. like and forever. Rightfully so. <laughs> and maybe get a restraining order yeah. and lots of other things. But to go to that person and say, Hey, it really hurt yeah. me when you hit me and broke my nose, like they're probably just gonna hit you somewhere else. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the metaphor, yeah, analogy, you're... simile, Catherine.
1: <laughs> you're welcome. Oh, okay, man. we've we got to keep rolling no, on we're this. We're rolling. Okay. So,
2: let's jump into Catherine's favorite feeling. Cat, will you um, tell us about fear?
1: Is this my favorite or just... is Oh, most... Um, it just is a common feeling most for common, me. common. A common theme in my life.
2: Most familiar is probably yeah. what I meant.
1: So, we're going into fear. And so, here's the deal with fear. I hate it and I love it, Um for multiple reasons. So, uh, just starting off, if you're unaware that you're afraid, a lot of times what that will look like is pure anxiety. Mm. And I always tell everybody, anxiety is truly a fancy word for fear. So when we don't want to acknowledge that we're afraid, we're like, oh, I'm so anxious. No, you're terrified. Yeah. Um. And so in that, well, can also, well, actually, we kind of want you to talk about this. So, well, I want you to talk about the um fear being rage oh yeah because um, megan said earlier when we were talking she was like people are gonna be shocked that rage doesn't come from anger it comes from fear so can you talk a little bit about that
2: yeah i i see the lights come on with people sometimes when i'm like they're talking about having road rage and i my answer back to them is like oh what are you afraid of and they're like i'm not afraid i'm really angry mm-hmm. and i'm like oh no 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 you're definitely mm-hmm. afraid So it's like,
1: I'll tell you what you're feeling. I
2: definitely am open to people being able to feel whatever they want to feel, but sometimes I'm translating. Yeah. Right. Um, And so there definitely is some anger in with rage, but rage is primarily fear-based, a fear-based emotion. And so even if we, if we look, if people begin asking themselves when you are raging. So the difference between rage and anger is rage is uncontained. So people are often harmed When somebody's raging emotionally, physically, Mm -hmm. um, spiritually, mentally, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, Rage is... Sometimes people will talk about it as like seeing red or Mm -hmm. blacking out. Like you are not in your body. Like it's uncontained, out of control. And when we talk about anger, like anger is so different than that. Um, And so rage is really unsafe. And part of what is underneath the rage really is fear.
1: Well, yes. And so... And an example to give with that is if you do have road rage, like if somebody almost like cuts you, somebody cuts you off and you almost get in a wreck, you have this like rageful moment. But when you really step back, why are you, you're not angry at that person. Really? You almost thought you were going to die. You right. thought you were going to get hurt. So you were scared. Mm-hmm. And so that some of the, other, if you're unaware of uh, your fear, some of the other stuff is you can be overwhelmed and you can be confused. Like you're just confused of all a million different things. Now, if you can be aware of your fear, and this is why I love fear so much, because when I'm afraid, what it's leading me to is things that I care about. Mm-hmm. So if I didn't care if I was live going to live or die, I wouldn't feel anything if somebody almost cut me off. Right? Mm-hmm. And so when I have the most fear, I think that is where I have the most energy around things I care about. It leads you to passion. Like, it truly will lead you to passion. Um taking risks. Like the reason we're fearful when we take risks is because we care if we fail or succeed. Now, if I didn't care if I failed or succeeded, I wouldn't have energy around that. Like, and that goes to career stuff, relationships, anything. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the other part that fear is really helpful is I do think it keeps us very safe. Yes. Like physically, emotionally, all of it. Like I do think that fear can keep us safe because um, it's almost Well, did you use the example of crossing the street?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I loved using that example because I spent so much of my life. We'll do a whole episode on fear, but I have read every book, every podcast, every everything on fearlessness, worked with some of the best like golf mental people in the world to help me like become fearless. And I wish somebody would have just told me, Hey, we actually don't want to get rid of your fear because like, if you didn't have any fear and you went across the street, you wouldn't even look both ways and you would get hit by a car and probably die. Right. And so really it's when I realized like, Oh, I don't want to get rid of my fear. I just want it to be in its rightful place that I actually like started befriending it and welcoming it and being thankful for it Mm -hmm. versus like trying to get it to go away.
1: Yeah. Yeah, totally. Uh, now, if we could, yeah, if we could look at fear that way, I think everybody would acknowledge that like, yeah, we're freaking afraid and proud of it, right? Mm-hmm. We would be happy to acknowledge that because it would essentially be waving a flag that like, I have passion in my life um, or I care that I'm alive. Like, that's what it would be saying.
2: Yeah. Or this is going to help me like, mm-hmm. fig- this is going to help me be wise like, because I get to think about what I need in order to keep myself safe. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember you've told me so much about working in adventure therapy and some ways that you helped people work on fear there. So can you talk about what that looked like?
1: Yeah. So for those of you who don't know what adventure therapy is, (laughs) it's really playing in the woods (laughs) on ropes courses. Um, So I was an adventure therapist for uh, not even a year, but um, I did it at this treatment center. and, And what we would do is we would essentially create a lot of experiential experiences that would force people to be afraid. So now this was in a place that we worked with highly traumatized people. And so we didn't just like throw them in here day one, but after hey, they so- jump off this pole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we did. We were uh, safe and careful of it. Um, but all in that to say, we would create these experiences where we would have them walk into the face of fear, because what would happen when you're traumatized, and this can be big T, little T, it really can. Um, but a lot of times with like these big T traumas that these people were dealing with is when they were in their experience, they thought they were going to die, and at the same time they felt fear, mm-hmm. and so they attached the they attached bad. They literally attached, this is bad, this bad event is happening, I'm feeling fear, I'm going to die. So all of those three things were wrapped, they were wrapped together, and they also were wrapped together with bad. So we would take them to do these things um, to kind of unwind those things from each other, and so one of the experiences we did was um, we took them to this dam, and it was, I don't know how high the jump was, but we essentially harnessed them up, and we had them climb up this very scary terrifying ladder and like jump off into the abyss oh and you got caught gosh. like we were they were like uh harnessed in and all that I mean it was I did all of the elements all the time that was the one that was very, that scared me the most it was it and was, so did you do it did you jump for sure I did but I was like shaking and so what we would do is we we had one of the therapists up there with you and you would kind of talk to them and kind of invite some like uh, caringness and some like love and some connection to this experience of them being terrified. Um, so they could take that badness around of like, I'm terrified, but I'm also with this really safe person hmm. who's speaking some like really kind words into my existence right now. The second part is because they attached death and fear together, we were unmarrying those from their head. Mm-hmm. And so they would jump th- because they felt fear. Fear means I'm going to die. They would jump and then guess what? They didn't die. They did not die. And so we started little by little pulling that apart. And maybe you would have to do something like that 50 times before it really stuck. But in order to unmarry those things, you have to walk your body through it. Um, and so that was really cool because we could teach them that like, Hey, one, if you are afraid that you're going to die, it's because you value your life. Mm -hmm. And two, fear doesn't always mean you're going to die. Fear could just mean you care about something.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, so that was really cool to be able to do.
2: Yeah. And I love how in that example too, like you all were helping people get over their fear, but also using fear to keep them safe as well, because they weren't just jumping off. Like they had a harness Mm -hmm. They had a safe person up there with them. They probably had a rope. They had a safe person at the other end. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of value in also knowing like you're facing your fear with the support, appropriate support from around mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Like just like crossing the street. Like it's great to look both ways, but also even better if you go to the crosswalk, push the button, wait for the red light, et cetera.
1: Mm-hmm. Um The other thing that I think about um, when I think of fear is. I went to um, this event a couple years ago and the keynote speaker was this guy who got on the stage and man, you could taste, I'm going to use anxiety, you could taste the wording, you could taste his anxiety. Wow. He was pacing, he was talking really fast, he was moving his hands. Now, wonderful speaker, incredible mm-hmm. speaker. But I knew as soon as he started speaking, I was like, that guy's terrified. And at the, kind of throughout his, Um, Talk At the end, he told a story about, he was like, I just want you guys to know that when I started speaking, I would throw up before every event, like make myself ill throw up before every event. And so finally his assistant or somebody who's working with was like, dude, like if this is freaking you out so much, why do you keep doing it? And he said, because the only thing that would be worse than doing this would be not doing it. Hmm. And for him, that was, like, a picture of, like, I'm so terrified. I have so much energy around this because I really, 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 really want to do this. Mm -hmm. Thank God. And I thought that was so cool, like, a picture of somebody leaning into, like, yeah, this is uncomfortable. But you know what would be more uncomfortable? Not following following my passion and being asleep to the fact that I'm afraid.
2: Yeah, which is – I have a personal experience even relating to that because – Thankfully, my own therapist was also able to walk me through that. She had got thrown off a horse and I think broken her leg. Oh. And horse like riding horses was so therapeutic for her and all this stuff that she was like, you know what? Yeah, you know what would be worse than like having a broken leg? It's never getting back on a horse and being yeah. able to live that out. Well, I don't know how long late after that, I had a, I bought a moped and then eventually got hit by a car on my moped. Yeah. And luckily it was hurt but also okay and as I was sifting through I was like man I'm really afraid to get a get another moped I'm so afraid but like I have to do it to get over my fear actually she was able to really help me sort through like is this a fear I want to step into yeah and in that I was able to say like no mm-hmm. like I have fear of getting hit by another car and it actually is pretty dangerous around Nashville on a moped and so I I really came to this place of like you know, if I lived in a place that felt safer, maybe I'd be willing to step into this fear. But actually I'm like, this isn't a fear worth mm-hmm. stepping into. And there are some fears worth stepping into and there are mm-hmm. others that aren't. And, and so that was almost like an opposite story. Mm-hmm. But I think there are other things like for me doing public speaking is really scary, but I choose to step into it because it's worth it.
1: Well, I think you're talking about that. You're giving examples of Fear the gift of passion and fear the gift of safety. Right. So the moped is the gift of safety. If I can feel terrified of being on a moped, that's telling me that I want to be safe and I value my life. So I'm not going to step into that. Mm -hmm. And the other one, if if I allow myself to feel the fear of public speaking, that's telling me that I care about public speaking. The other one's telling me I care about my life. And so I'm going to do whatever I can to preserve that. And this is saying I care about doing the things that – like God or whoever has written on my heart as desires of mine. Does that make sense? Yes. That's a very, very helpful summary. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I know I, I listen to people for a living. Amen. Um, Okay. So let's move on. That's fear. Um, now (laughs) Megan, you're so lucky that you get to do this one. I get to do the only happy feeling on the The whole list. The only good feeling. The only one. It's not a good feeling. They're not good or bad. We're joking.
2: They're all good. And actually I'm gonna talk about glad or gladness Mm -hmm. and actually even really gladness in its best state has some other stuff along with it. So first I'll talk about like what happens when we're unaware or or when we're trying to create our own gladness. Essentially it's pretty easy and I'm sure lots of people can relate to this. When we don't experience true joy and true gladness when we're not willing to feel all of our feelings to get there. What we do is we try to manufacture it mm-hmm. so that looks like really anything that we do for like sensual pleasure like uh having sex with people when we like aren't wanting to but just wanting the high or getting drunk or going shopping and buying lots of things mm-hmm. or um, going to lots of events and lots of concerts and all mm-hmm. of those things can be really great mm-hmm. and They're great in their rightful place. But when we're doing it because we're trying to manufacture this really awesome high, but not wanting to acknowledge the other feelings that go along with things, we get in these really sticky situations. And basically all you're doing is trying to manufacture this great time upon great time upon great time upon a great time. And that's really how things get pretty out of control and how we start doing things really outside of our value system.
1: Yeah. And I, this is making me think about the idea that If you want to step into these feelings, you got to step into all of them. Yes. So if you want to step into gladness, you got to step into all of them. And if you don't want to step into them, you don't get to step into any of them. So if you don't want to do this stuff, then guess what? You're numb to gladness. Mm -hmm. And so being unaware of being glad is really, I mean, I don't know the right word to use here, but hurtful or detrimental because then you can't access that you don't need a manufacturer right
2: like we can't selectively
1: no
2: i really try to embrace this like life is not all or nothing that's part of my recovery is finding like moderation in the middle ground and feelings are really the all or nothing kind of thing Mm -hmm. we can't selectively numb some and then accept the others Mm -hmm. like it's really like you're awake and feeling or you're asleep asleep and and not and so that's what happens like when we're trying to find this place of gladness but we don't want to feel any anything else. The only thing you can do is manufacture it. Mm-hmm. Thanks for for saying that, yeah. Catherine. And so, w- along with that, like when we step into what it, what does it look like to tr- be truly like alive and really feel the gladness, it is a willingness to acknowledge like the sadness and the other feelings that come along with it. And so, the best way I can describe that is like when we have that feeling, there is like this deep deep satisfaction and like this deep gladness mixed with this sadness really that like life is temporary uh, and everything is fleeting and everything is passing. And so I have like so many stories, but the one I can think about the most is like um, I got engaged, I don't know, six months ago, whatever it is now. I think it was only four actually. (laughs)
1: Like it was last week. It was last week (laughs)
2: um, in September. Well, however many months ago that was. Um, But it was like this really beautiful like intimate day and like basically people always want to ask about like the proposal and I was like yeah yeah the proposal was fine but like we both were like so (laughs) nervous and afraid like whatever but Eric planned this after party and like my friends were there like people that I like deeply cared about like my family was there and everything was just planned so well like he had like my favorite flowers and he had food and then like He stood up and read this letter that he had, like, read to my parents when he asked if he could marry me, and this, it was just, like, so beautiful, and so much, like, heart, and so honoring of, like, both of our stories, and where we come from, and who we are now, and, like, people were crying, and I was, like, I have never felt so loved. Like, I really thought that. I was, like, I have never felt, like, this much joy mixed with, like, in the moment I was like no 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 make this go away make this go away because I was I couldn't get rid of the sadness that I carried of like I've waited so long for this and I've really been through like a lot of hard things and like this is so beautiful like what I have not just the engagement but like this love Mm -hmm. and these people and like man it's taken a lot to like get to this place yeah and actually, when we left, like, we were leaving and, like, we were saying goodnight and, like, going to our separate houses and stuff. And he was like, hey, are you okay? And I started, like, if I could access tears easier, I would have cried. So, when sometimes I say I started crying. And I'm like, no, I actually didn't. But I was crying on the inside.
1: Um, <laughs> like, this would be an appropriate yeah. time to cry.
2: I was just like, this, like, I have never felt so much Like joy and gladness Mm -hmm. and deep satisfaction. And I was like, I am so sad. Like, this will never happen again, Um, hopefully. And, (laughs) like, and just, and I told him, and just like an awareness of how much pain both of us had come through to really meet each other. And so I was like, I can't get rid of, I can't get rid of that part. And it was okay, you know, but that's what it looks like when we're living fully. Like, I have all this love and all this joy and all this sadness too of this will never happen mm-hmm. again.
1: Yeah. You know what is this is just coming to me now, but when is your birthday?
2: Please don't tell me you want to know what my horoscope
1: no, is. No, no, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, I really don't. <laughs> it's um June twenty eighth. Um, what does that make you?
2: A cancer, which I like don't, oh, don't that's like re- yeah. relate to at okay. all. So I don't know I'm, anything like, about that the stuff. The horoscope stuff I throw out the window. Enneagram and so, in, horoscope out. <laughs>
1: Okay, then I don't know when this was, but... So, this is a example. I would just want to give an example of how, like, you can be in this, like, dialectic of being really glad and sad at the same time. Because Eric had written you a letter. I don't... But this must not have been for your birthday. He wrote... Maybe, you, maybe you'll maybe know. But he wrote you a letter. And I remember... Um, can I say this? Yeah. Okay. So, you can, we were switching out offices, and I was dating somebody at the time. You know what I'm about to say now. Yeah. And you read me this letter. This actually might make me cry. And I won't. Um, and, oh my God. It was like the... Eric, if you're out there, you're a top-notch guy. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally... The, he, it was just deep emotional vulnerability and care.
0: Mm-hmm. Like,
1: oh my God. And I sat through watching Megan engage in this relationship which I saw the ups and downs, not in like the relationship was bad and good, but how hard it was for you to stay in it yeah, because of your own avoidance and all that and not because of anything with him. And, um, so I got to see Megan walk through the space and when I read that letter, I was like, oh my God, Megan, I'm so, I was so glad, like yeah. glad, like, deep, deep satisfaction that my like good friend was, had this thing in her life and she allowed herself to have that and the same time, after you read that, do you remember what I said? Yeah. I said, do you want to say it? You say okay. it. Okay. I go, I was said something, and you go, what? And I, I said, my boyfriend would never write anything like that. Mm. He would never say those things about me. He would never have the ability to access those feelings. And I had this, like, I wouldn't call it a crisis. I would think it was an awakening to, like, I am so happy for her. And now I'm really sad because I'm noticing that I am at a loss of something. Mm-hmm. And it was maybe a week or two or three. I broke up with that guy. Yeah. Well, he kind of broke up with me, but <laughs> it All was because same. I told. It was because I sat down. And I was like, "Listen, like, I need to know if this is like what's going on here because I need more from you, and if you can't give me more, then this is never going to work." And mm-hmm. so he took a couple of days, and he came back, and he was like, "I care about you so much, but this is." this is where this is all I got Mm -hmm. and that was hard like I was really sad yeah but also so glad to have the awareness right and also I was so happy for you there was no because I could feel those things I didn't resent you I wasn't like it wasn't this like deep jealousy resentment I was like holy shit good for freaking her yeah, not so great for me. <laughs> and I love
2: your humility in that because it's like, there's enough space when we're not working so hard to like avoid everything and do this and do that. Then there's enough space for both. And I remember that even like I could sit with you and like, yeah, I'm really glad for me. And also I am really sad for you. Yeah. And so we could talk about it and be honest about it. And I wasn't like, oh, Catherine doesn't want this for me or want that mm-hmm. for me. It was just like, yeah, there's enough space here and enough space in our relationship that all the feelings can exist. Mm-hmm. And speaking of all the feelings, let's move on <laughs> to the next one. Um, well, we're
1: kind of talking about it.
2: Yeah. I think, let's jump over to anger. You don't can, want to do sadness? Wait, I, you want to jump right into sadness? We can well, do yeah, that. But I feel
1: like we kind of like bled okay. into
2: it. We were talking a lot about sadness yeah. with the gladness. So uh, if we jump into sadness, when we're unaware of our sadness, the best character that I can think of is Eeyore. Um <laughs> Eeyore we just, would
1: oh my never mind. I'm not gonna say
2: just that. <laughs> is the epitome of self pity yeah and so like oh woe is me Eeyore <laughs> right and I don't even I didn't even grow up on Winnie the Pooh but I did see the the Winnie the Pooh movie maybe last year the year before that um, but really like when we are refusing to own our sadness what happens is we get self pity and the mm-hmm. best way I see that show up in relationships is like when somebody confronts somebody about something, so it's like, hey, I really would love it if, like, you took some more time and like listened to me when I'm talking. And the person says, like, oh yeah, like I'm just the worst, like I can't do this, I can't friend. do that, i never get it right. Yeah, I'm a terrible friend, and it's like, okay, we got it. Your self pity, yeah, and like shame, which we'll get into later. Is like is making me up.
1: feel bad. You're trying to make me feel bad for having a need.
2: Exactly, and so that's what self pity is. Self pity basically says like. I refuse to own my own sadness. Mm -hmm. And so, Hey, Catherine, you're going to own it or whoever person out there. Mm -hmm. And so it's this like self-loathing and self-pity and kind of the victimhood of I'm not going to be sad. And so you're going to pay and you're going to feel it for me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I tell people like feelings a lot of times, especially this can happen with our parents. It's like, Dropping your suitcases on the ground and like the other person is required to carry them for you. Ugh. So I'm going to yeah. drop my sadness suitcases and like yeah. I'm going to force you to pick them up and carry mm-hmm. them. And so that's really like when you we're aware of our sadness, it looks like loathing, um, taking no responsibility, you mean being unaware.
1: Did you yeah, say unaware? when we're
2: unaware, yeah. being a victim to things. And really what we're saying is like I'm refusing to grieve something that matters to me.
1: And so the thing is, going back to just because you're not aware of it doesn't mean it's there. It just comes out in a really ick way. Then people don't want to be around that. I can be around sad people. I don't want to be around that. Right.
2: Yeah, it's like a, it's just icky. Yeah. I like that you're using that because when we're not aware of our sadness, it's just coming out all over the place mm-hmm. in all these different ways and we're wanting other people to own it and take mm-hmm. care of us and do all these things. But really, when we are aware of it, what it's saying is like, wow, I've lost something that's really valuable to me. Mm-hmm. And this is where it takes awareness in general because you have to, to some degree, know what you've lost. Yeah, and you know what you value. Yeah. And so oftentimes it can be kind of obvious when we lose a person. Like if you have somebody that you're really close to and you lose them, it's easier and more tangible to connect with like, wow, that's a huge loss. Mm-hmm. And I'm really sad about that. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it's harder relationally to know again, like, oh, I've lost like if you're, if we're talking about something and you're not able to respond or listen or be present, I'm like losing the ability to connect with you, yeah. which yeah, can so be harder to know.
1: I'm sad. Cause you're not like, if you're at dinner or lunch and somebody's like looking at their phone, you're like, I'm sad right now because you just checked out. Yes.
2: Yeah. yeah. And again, it, it can be really helpful. Rather than like,
1: when nobody wants to pay attention to me, Yeah, I'm not interesting enough.
2: Catherine's so good at all these examples. <laughs> I'm loving it. I'm so loving it. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, sadness in its its rightful place is being able to name that something you care about is either no longer available or not happening. Mm -hmm. And so the example of you, if we were at dinner and you're looking at your phone, I may be sad that, like, I care about connecting with Catherine and she's looking at her phone. And so if I'm able to name that, I can either get what I need or sometimes, like, we've lost something that can't come back or we can't get. So I'm thinking, like, pets or... Mm people or even like childhood experiences, Mm -hmm. you know, like there are things that didn't happen for me in my childhood that I have so much sadness around. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm like, man, I really wish that I could have explored some things other than sports. Mm -hmm. And I think I talked about this even in my episode, like I can either sit around and feel sorry for myself of like, oh, I never got to do the Girl Scouts. Mm -hmm. Like I never got to try art. I never got to do this. Or I can say to myself, like, that is really sad and like i can never get that back mm-hmm. and also like it's not okay like it's not okay but it also is okay
1: and and with that because you can acknowledge that you lost something you can live more intentionally like that's why i think when you figure that out then you start doing all these things like going and creating all these experiences because you are awake to the fact that you lost out on some
2: exactly And this shows up a lot. I think a a big piece of sadness that people aren't willing to own is from their family of origin. Mm -hmm. Like things, because your parents are human parents and they're not perfect and they can't give you everything that you wanted and needed, like they missed you in places. Mm -hmm. And it is, we spend so much energy pretending like that didn't happen and trying to avoid it instead of acknowledging, I'm so sad that my parent never came to watch my plays or never came to my this or that Mm -hmm. instead of actually naming it and being willing to grieve it and say that's not okay that really hurt me and you know what like my my parent was human and it's okay Mm -hmm. like we don't acknowledge it and so then we act it out all over the place and like blame other people for not showing up for us and never and don't ask for what we need and try to meet our needs in weird ways by showing up for other people. So they'll show up for us and all this like different stuff. Like and so, yeah, right. when we're aware of our sadness, we're naming what we've lost. That is crucial. Yeah. We have to be able to name what the loss is. And then we're willing to grieve the fact that we didn't get it and be sad that it didn't happen. And then it brings us to this beautiful place of acceptance where mm-hmm. we can say it's not okay, but it's okay. And yeah, we can live intentionally mm-hmm. around what we're going to do differently.
1: hmm All right. Do you want to stay in the sadness or do we want to move away from it? (laughs) Oh, let's get out of sadness. Let's get into something (laughs) a little bit. I was going to say more fun,
2: but I don't, I like all the feelings. So I don't want to give sadness a bad rap, but Kat, let's, let's talk about
1: some anger. Let's talk about some anger. Um, okay. So again, going back to the like start gate positions, this Mm -hmm. is probably a lot of people's start gate position. Um, (laughs) here's the thing when we're unaware of our anger it, anger I don't know if this is my judgment of it but I think it has the energy that anger has is unlike any other energy mm-hmm. like it is a specific I mean they're all different but like when I was describing how loneliness feels that's like a sharp pain anger is like a swirl like mm. it's swirling Um, So when we're unaware of our anger, I think that leads us more into a depressive state, which do you want to take away? What I know you want to say
2: this. (laughs) I think it's really helpful. We didn't really plan the order of what we're going to talk about feelings, but I'm like, oh, sadness rolls really easily into anger um, because, you know, a lot of times people will see somebody that's so depressed and will say, oh, they're so sad. And it's like, no, actually
1: mm-hmm.
2: what they've done is they've depressed mm-hmm. all of their feelings and what we need to do. And if I'm working with somebody who's depressed, I'm helping them find their anger right. around like all of their feelings. Yeah. We're like waking back up. Yes. And so what Catherine wants me to tell is <laughs> I was talking earlier, getting really excited about the fact of like, yeah, when we have, when we're not feeling our anger, what's happening is people end up getting depressed. And if you depress your feelings far enough, it's like a ball and you're pressing it underwater and pressing underwater. And I don't know the logistics of all the physics, but apparently if you press the ball far enough underwater, it will get stuck. And that's what we're calling depression. Mm -hmm. But Catherine has little stories about her her picture of the ball is a little bit more fighting with the ball. So So
1: like, but I think of, so this is what I think about it is a lot of times we have, so I think of anger. Well, let me back up. I think that the society looks at anger as this, either it's more acceptance if you can control it, but then when you think about rage, which isn't anger, we've already decided that that's fear, right? So a lot of us don't want to, well, how do I really want to say this? Well... Yeah, if you're depressing and you're pushing the ball down. So I think of that as you're shoving this, I think of it as a beach ball. Did you describe it as a beach mm-hmm. ball? A beach ball underwater and you're holding it there. And it takes a lot of energy, right, to do that. And as you're doing, as you're depressing your anger... You are misplacing it and putting it in the sad area. So you're misplacing it. Eventually, you're going to run out of energy. You're going to need to come up from for air. And when you come up, that ball is going to shoot into the sky. And it's going to go sideways, backwards. I don't know where it's going to go. It's going to go somewhere, but not where it was probably supposed to be. <laughs> All so, over the place. Yeah, and so that's where I think people think about anger. They think One, they think it's rage, which that's why they think it's bad. But also they think of it as being out of control in that idea. But if you are awake to your anger, if you pay attention to it, it doesn't ha- you can hold the ball mm-hmm. like you can just hold the ball and it's going to be okay. Um, I think anger gets a reputation of like, I don't know if this is also my own judgment, but there's this idea that like women shouldn't be as angry, you know, mm. and it's okay for men to be angry and yelling and shouting and doing it. But if a woman does it, then she's like, I don't know, out of control. Mm. Crazy. Yeah, crazy. Yeah, she's crazy. And so that's why I think a lot of times we do shove it away. Now, I freaking love anger so much because when I feel anger, I also, this goes with fear. They're so tied together for me. It is saying, oh my God, I care. I care. I care. I care. I care. I care. I would not be angry about something that I did not care about because I'd be like, okay, cool. I'm moving on. Mm -hmm. Right? Think about it. When somebody tells you a story about some injustice they felt. Like you might not have any feelings towards it cause you don't care about it. But if it's a justice that you like at injustice that you care about, you're going to be like, what? That's not right. Like, let's do something about it. Um, so if we can be awake to our anger, that is what's going to create change. That Amen. is literally what is going to keep the world functional. Right? Thank God people have anger around what's happening in the world right now. Else we would just let people do whatever the hell they want to do. Um, we'd all be dead. Um, <laughs> So, essentially, oh, ang- anger tells us what we want to be different in the world. And uh, Megan said this. She goes, Jesus was the angriest person on earth, and he ro- walked around perfect.
2: Yeah. Like, I have so many clients or so many people that are like, oh, no, not me. I'm never angry. And I'm like, oh, gosh. You know? And so, we have to do a lot of work, especially even being in the Bible Belt down here, mm-hmm. Um you know, regardless of what people believe spiritually or whatever, if, even if you're just looking at the Bible as like a good book, mm-hmm. you know what it's saying is like, Jesus flipped over t- temples. Fi- uh, temples, Jesus flipped over tables in the temples. And my own um, version of explaining that story is he's like, what the heck? Like you aren't going to sell crap in my dad's house. Like this is not going to happen in here. And so he basically was flipping over tables saying like, no. And what the Bible also says is that Jesus didn't sin. And so something like doesn't add up there. Like either anger is okay mm-hmm. or Jesus was being angry and sinning. Like, yeah,
1: yeah.
2: I don't know, but you got to kind of pick what side you're on there. But really his anger was telling him what he wanted to be different. And then also helping him create boundaries. boundaries.
1: Yes. If we don't get angry, we will never have any boundaries.
2: we we'll never have any change. Like change or boundaries. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, so Yeah. Anger is all it is, is having an experience where you're like, Oh, I care about this. And then it gives you the opportunity to go get what you need Mm -hmm. or walk away from what you don't. That's the other one. Mm -hmm. Like I hope that some people get angry in some situations because that's telling them get the hell out. If you are asleep to the fact that you're angry that somebody's doing something that doesn't feel right with you, you'll allow yourself to get abused. Exactly. Manipulated, neglected, whatever it is. Um, So, gosh, like, I want us to take anger back. Like, let's all get really freaking angry. Because anger doesn't always look like flipping tables. No. It looks like me saying, hey, when you... (laughs) Here's one. (laughs) This is one that Megan might use towards me. Oh, gosh. Hey, Catherine, when you (laughs) leave your crap all over the office, I feel really angry because I try to make this space really calming, and a calming environment. So I'm just going to ask if we're going to continue to... Stay in uh, a relationship where we share an office that you respect the space that we're in by not leaving your trash, your bomba, <laughs> which of you guys know those freaking bomba snacks from Trader Joe's? They're peanut butter little like oh tops, right. they're so good. They're gonna be our first sponsor. Yeah, please Mambas. sponsor us. <laughs> but if you're like, can you please not leave those bags out uh, in the chair? Now I don't know if that's really how you feel, but that would be an example of like, yeah ask for like get some respect
2: i only feel that way when there's none left but, in the right bag. i usually leave if you, there so. is some in the bag and i'm like oh yay but yeah i love how you're talking about that of like again that anger prompts you to say something but it's also still in a kind and caring clear way mm-hmm. versus like when we we're talking about rage rage right. is uncontrolled so the best way to differentiate between if you're in anger or if you're in rage is like do you feel safe within your own body And do other people feel safe around you while you're expressing this? Because even though Jesus was flipping the table, I don't know how he did it, but if he didn't sin, then he obviously was doing it in a way that was contained somehow.
1: Mm. Yeah. Um, And if the answer is, I'm, this is rage, then go figure out why you're afraid. Yeah. Um, Amen. All right. So, guys, this is a big one. Dun, dun, dun! Megan's going to talk about i want to like ask the audience like what do you think's next but they can't talk to us yeah we'll just pretend, we're pretend. okay everybody
2: shout out what you think is next. we're on facebook live right now <laughs> what do you think it's coming next um,
1: um we got shame we shame. have shame megan mm. tell us about shame
2: this is another personal fave because yeah. i think there's so many misconceptions in our culture around shame um A lot of what's talked about culturally or even like in psychology or pop psychology right now is really this message that like shame is bad get rid of shame and I really want to be careful to differentiate between when shame it's in it is in its place of like not being helpful Mm -hmm. and then when shame is in a place of being helpful Mm -hmm. and so the shame that people are trying to get rid of right now culturally is this shame that I would call toxic shame that says like I'm bad. Something's wrong with me. I am messed up Mm -hmm. and I'm all about it. Like, let's get rid of that. Mm -hmm. Um, people are so familiar with that. So when we're not aware of our shame and like the shame is kind of controlling us, it's toxic and it looks like a self attack. Mm -hmm. Like there's no space to be in this place of like reasonable or like, um, able to hold like our humanity with maybe what happened. And so it's just,
1: you're bad. I'm bad.
2: Yeah, you're bad. Um, Kind of like the difference, too, of like, um, I told a lie versus I'm a liar. Uh So one is more of like an action statement, and the other one is more like a, what do you call that, like a label you're putting Mm -hmm. on yourself. And so when Brene Brown or whoever is talking about how bad shame is and like, let's get rid of shame, she is talking about this toxic shame that we're not aware of that tells us all of these really negative we're attacking not good. Yeah, attacking things about ourselves. I'm a big fan of this other side of shame and like introducing people to like the ways in which shame can be helpful. And when we're when shame is in its rightful place, shame tells us like I'm a human being, I'm not perfect, and I'm not God, I'm not a higher power. And so it really allows for all this freedom and acceptance to be like, yeah, I'm human. I make mistakes, like I'm not perfect I am not a God. I'm just a human. And really what happens is it creates and it leads to humility and empathy. And so the, the way that I like to think about this is I tell people, I'm like, if you didn't feel some level of shame, you wouldn't wear clothing. Like you <laughs> would just leave your house. Yeah. But something about like the degree of shame you feel is like, Oh, I'm going to put clothes on. And most of the time we don't think about that. We're not like, this is so bad. I feel shame. I'm going to put a shirt on. Like right. we just do it. Yeah. And the same is true with, like, other things. Like, most of the time people close the bathroom door, like, when they go to the bathroom. If you grew up in a family where the door was left open, like, you probably had some degree of shamelessness in your family. Mm -hmm. Um, Or the same thing with, like, even table etiquette. Like, we most of the time use a knife and a fork. And so sometimes even shame is cultural. Like, here it's appropriate to use a knife and a fork. But, like, when I lived in Africa... Um, in Ethiopia you actually don't use utensils you just use only one hand and then you don't use the other hand so you almost have to know even like the cultural areas of shame but we want shame like also shame like sometimes I get a lot of requests from people for my time to hang out all this stuff and sometimes I'm just like hey like I can't like I don't have the capacity right now to do that in my life and you know when I have to tell somebody that I feel sad. And I also feel some level of shame of like, wow, I can't be all things to all people. Yeah. I don't feel guilty. Like telling somebody, no, I don't have the time for this is not outside of my value
1: system. And so you're saying, I feel shame because I'm waking up to the fact that I'm a human. I'm limited. Yeah. yeah. I'm human. I'm limited. And man, that's hard. Yeah. And at the same time, thank God you realize that mm-hmm. because if you don't wake up to the fact you're human then that can turn to toxic shame if you can't be all things to all people.
2: Yeah. And, like, even sometimes, like, there are people in my life or in my office, whatever, where it's like, wow, I really want to help them. And for whatever reason, I'm not able to help them or they don't want to help or whatever. And so that also comes to a place of, like, this healthy shame of, like, I can't fix people. Like I can be a helpful guide. I can give my all. I can give resources. I can have bound, like with boundaries and all this stuff. But sometimes it just doesn't end in the way or it doesn't proceed in the way that I wish it did. And so in that, like I can feel my sadness, I can feel my other feelings, but I don't feel guilt. I didn't do anything wrong other than being a human. And part of my humanity is like, I can't heal people. I can be an agent of healing, but I am not the healer. Right. And so I am a really, really big fan of like accepting, acknowledging this shame doesn't work for us and really doing the work around that because nobody's bad. Nobody's wrong. Mm -hmm. Like nobody's broken. Um, Everybody is human. And along with humanity is like humility, acknowledgement of limitedness, acknowledgement of some sort of higher power and really being able to step into that is actually really freeing.
1: And I I almost wish that we could like create different words around this because the way you explain shame it's like thank god we have that Mm -hmm. but shame has such a negative it's i mean with a lot of these words but i think right now in the society we're in right now because there are movements out there to get rid of toxic shame Mm -hmm. but because the other part of it hasn't been looked at as much yeah i wish we could almost change toxic shame to something else so we're able to hold because all you're saying is healthy shame if that's what we want to call it. Mm-hmm. Humility. Yeah. Humanness. And like, why wouldn't you want that? Um, so, uh,
2: let's jump into the last feeling. Cat's going to
1: take over this last yeah. feeling. So the last one would be guilt, which uh, in the past, very like generally and generically, we would explain shame and guilt as two kind of like, almost like step, brothers, step cousins. Mm-hmm. What is the word? Step-sister. Step sister, step, Something. Step they're something. Related, yeah. close, close they're related, is what i say. They're related, but they relations. might not like each other.
2: Actually, like paternal twins, because sometimes people get them confused with each other. Oh, yeah. But they're wow, different. Totally. <laughs>
1: is that a simile?
2: <laughs> I don't know, but I just thought of that one right now, so
1: <laughs> verdict's still out on if it's good or not. <laughs> um, so, generally, so shame had, has been looked at as, I am bad, and then the, to differentiate that with guilt, guilt is, I did something bad. Now, we just kind of like debunked some of that with shame, but guilt still stands there. Like when you feel guilt, when you allow yourself to feel guilt, when you're aware of it and you're awake to it, you can identify, hey, I did something that's outside of who I am. So if you're unaware and you're asleep to your guilt, you are going to be doing all sorts of things that are, for lack of a better word kind of fucked up when it comes down to your values and your morals <laughs> right you'll just you would do anything you would steal you would lie you would cheat you mm-hmm. would whatever it is and so yes i want to be feel guilty because when i feel guilt it's almost like um a, a meter it's like a hot cold meter of like am i being congruent or am i being incongruent So guilt can be different things for different people depending on what their values are. And I think to accurately feel this emotion, you need to really identify what are my values and my morals and what do I stand for. But if you're aware of your guilt, like all that is is allowing you to live inside who you are. That's all that is. It's helping you create boundaries of containment to stay true to yourself. Amen. So that one's pretty simple. Yeah. Like I would feel guilt if I hit my friend's car and then drove off
2: (laughs) for good reason and that will keep you in relationship but yes because it will lead you to going and asking for forgiveness and getting repair
1: yeah totally um so that's all I feel like we really need to say on guilt yeah guilt
2: is kind of it's an easy one, per se, because really the question that goes with guilt is, did I do something outside of my value system? Mm-hmm. If the answer is yes, go and make it right. Mm-hmm. If the answer is no, then you probably feel shame.
1: I, yeah. And, <laughs> well, <laughs> and I think the pro- the area where that gets really challenging for people is when people haven't been able to sit and like, well, what what is me Mm -hmm. like what does feel okay and what does feel not okay because a lot of times we're brought up to believe things that might not feel right to us whether that's too contained or um or it's too uncontained and if you think about religious like a lot of people become adults and like well i don't know if i feel bad about this like for example what do you sex like having sex outside of marriage people be like well i don't i never did it because I, i grew up in the church and they said it's bad but like I don't even know if I'm a Christian. So like, I don't know if that's bad. So should I feel guilt about this? And so that's where guilt can be sticky. Cause you can't figure out, cause that's when you're going to move into like shame, whatever. Um, but I think, so if you're really wanting to, to dive into figuring out the guilt part, it's like, you've got to go sit with somebody, figure out what you believe.
2: Amen. Yeah. I think that's awesome that you're bringing that up because you have to know your value system to know if you're within it or if you're without outside of it. Outside of it. And a lot of times we just adopt these value systems either from our families or from our culture, from like religion or whatever, which we may or may not even subscribe to. So one time I got in this really long discussion with somebody about how they were trying to convince me that it wasn't, that it was okay to tell white lies. And I was like, (laughs) that may be okay for you. And, and really genuinely like that, if that's okay for you, it's okay for you. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not okay for me. I don't want to the way that I avoid telling like a white lie is I just find something that I can actually say that is true that I subscribe to. Mm-hmm. And so that's a really good example of somebody having a different value system. That doesn't make me better or worse than them for the way that I do it. We have different value systems. And so we're going to feel guilt in different areas.
1: Yeah. And if you don't know your value system, you're going to feel shitty all the time because you're going to be all covered the in guilt. time. Um, and you're, or gonna... you're just going to be asleep to it and like robbing banks. Yeah. So, or you're going to be
2: um, operating out of all everybody else's value system. Yeah. yeah. I love that. If you don't know your own value system, you
1: really are going to feel guilt yeah. all the time. Um, and one thing I just want to say really quick, going back to shame is somebody said this to um, my Tori. Um, she was going to see, my friend Tori was going to see a therapist and she was talking about feeling strong, negative feelings towards a man. And she was like, I don't want to say that I hate him. And her the therapist she was talking to the therapist and the therapist said back like why she was like well because essentially she was saying like I feel shame for hating somebody and mm-hmm. his response was why can't you hate somebody you're not Jesus which is the essence of what you were just saying of mm-hmm. like if, if we can be hum like ha- have the shame that's okay you're waking up to the fact that you're human and you have these feelings towards people that's okay you don't have to fight that. You would mm-hmm. just be like, essentially, yeah. She hated the guy. It is what it is.
2: Yeah, which kind of brings <laughs> me to a nice stopping place yeah. of like just wrapping everything up. Uh, somebody, a wise person, once told me when I was struggling through my own stuff, they were like, you know, Megan, um, how do I want to say it? They basically said I was talking about this and that, and oh, why can't why I can't do all this stuff? And they were like, hey you know what, like feeling feelings and acknowledging them and naming them and expressing them, it really actually won't kill you, but your avoidance of them really might. Mm -hmm. And I really have found that to be true. Like when people are working really hard to avoid feelings, we are doing all sorts of crazy shit and acting out and there's addictions and all the stuff that we named earlier That really can kill you. But what I've found is that when people are naming them, expressing them, feeling them, um, I've yet to see somebody die over that.
1: Yes. Nope. Nobody has died in my office because they (laughs) identified feeling fear or anger. I can attest to that. Yeah. Um, So I hope you guys enjoyed this. This was a really, I mean, essentially it was kind of easy because it's like this is what we do all day we talk about our feelings super um, but yeah thanks guys for listening and if you have any questions about any of this or you want to learn more we'd be happy to send you some resources and some reading material um, uh, that might help you dig deeper into some of this stuff because we just literally touched the surface of all these
2: yeah we really really did um, we've got great books and resources and other other things that we can pass along or you can you know actually come into the office and do some therapy if you're not already doing that <laughs> Um, we can either see you ourselves or point you in the right direction. And then the other thing I would say is let us know what else like you all want to know about because we'd be happy to cover that in additional episodes and dive deeper into that.
1: Mm-hmm. Have a blessed day. Super blessed. Thanks for sitting on the couch with me again. Feel all the feels. Feel the feelings. Peace out. Bye. Bye.
0: June 30th, 2024.